I want you to help me a little bit. I'm going to tell you a few quick stories about four people you know, and I want you to tell me that if what they did was good or not. Most people know his name for the most part. They see his name on schools or on churches, but don't know a whole lot about Francis of Assisi. What you may not realize, a great man of the church has gone down in history as one of the important figures in church history, but he wasn't always like that. As a young man, oh, ho, 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 young Francis loved to partay, y'all. He had everything. He had money. He had the looks. He had the friends. He had it all. There was nothing that he lacked. And anytime you talk about Francis in his earlier days, it's been said that uh, nobody loved pleasure more than he. He loved the flashy clothes. He loved to be the one to get all the attention because of how he looked, right? And loved to party. Boy, loved to party. He and his friends had quite the reputation as party goers. Wild, wild parties. His father was a well-to-do seller of cloth material. And as the story goes, one day Francis was helping his dad selling the cloth. And as he was apparently in the middle of a transaction, a beggar comes to Francis and asks him for money. Now, being in the middle of the transaction, maybe being a little annoyed, he shoes the man away. Sometime after the transaction, I don't know, maybe he felt bad for the man. Maybe he felt bad for shooing him. I don't, I don't know, but Francis stopped what he was doing, went to find the man, sought him out, and gave him everything he had in his pockets. Good thing? Yeah, I mean, I mean who am I to judge, right? Seems like it was a good thing. Well, except his friends didn't think so. You know, his wild party friends, they mocked him. Doing wasting your time with some loser like this. What's wrong with you? And when he got home, his dad found out about it. His dad scolded him to no end. Wasting my money that way. Wasting my time, your time when you're supposed to be working. So just because you and I might think it was a good idea doesn't mean everybody else thought it was a good idea. Another story. Uh, Most of us probably think of or remember Vincent Van Gogh as the guy with the ear, right? Or lack thereof, depending on when you're telling the story, right? But did you know that for a short time he was uh, a missionary? He served a small mining community in Belgium and quickly set set himself apart from er other clergy people. What set him apart, really, is the way he decided he would serve this community. Decided he couldn't have the luxury that some of the other clergy people, pastors, had, so he he gave up some of his rights. He lived in a small apartment on top of a bakery. Eventually, that got to be too luxurious, so he gave that away as well to go live in a hut so that he could live closer to this community that he was sharing life with. He became part of this community. He became someone that the people could turn to, someone that they listened to. He even converted people to the Christian faith during his time there. Van Gogh served that community with love and commitment like nobody else would for those people. Good thing? Kind of sounds like it. 
And, well, what well, the church that sent them there, they, they kind of thought it was a good idea. But really, Vincent, I mean, you know, your lowly lifestyle, it's just, it's not becoming of what a clergy person should be. And, and so maybe what you're doing is good, but not good enough for us to keep supporting you. So they cut off his funding, so he couldn't do that anymore. See, you and I might have thought it was a good thing, but somebody else apparently didn't. What about if somebody gets healed? Is that a good thing? Yeah, we pray for that almost every week, that somebody would get healed, either for something physically or spiritually, emotionally, and we trust that God can heal. So you would think if somebody gets healed, it's a good thing. Peter and John thought it was. The story goes, they were headed to church one day, and as they were on their way, there was a man sitting on the side of the road. Now, it doesn't tell us for sure. It's maybe in a lost version somewhere. But we don't know if that man on the side of the road had a sign in his hand or not. And we don't know if he ever did get money from anybody, what he actually did with that money. But there he was on the side of the road waiting for people to come in and hopefully have a little sympathy in their heart so that they could share something with him. And we don't know if... Peter and John tried to avoid eye contact, you know, just stare at the light until it was time to go. We don't know if maybe they stopped carrying cash because that made it easier to say, sorry, don't have anything and go on. We don't know all those things, but we do know that they finally met. And Peter tells the man, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Get up and walk. Peter healed him. Now, I think the man thought that was a good thing because guess what he did? He got up and he walked, something he couldn't do for a long time. And I think the other people that knew who that man was, they thought it was a good thing too. Now, what we realize is that story happened in Acts chapter 3. Patty read today from Acts chapter 4, and if you understood, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are on trial for what they did in Acts chapter 3. See, you and I think it's a good thing for somebody to be healed, but apparently somebody else didn't think so, because now they have him on trial. They have them on trial for what they've done. And what about Jesus? What about Jesus? One day, Jesus and his disciples were walking along, and they came across a man who was blind. Now, the disciples had some questions about why he was blind, but as Jesus is is talking uh, talking about him to the disciples, he takes a little bit of mud, a little bit of Jesus spit, mixes it up, puts it on the man's eyes, and guess what? The man can see. I think the man thinks that's a very good thing. Don't you think? I think Jesus thought that was a very good thing. I think the people who knew that man thought this was a very good thing. Until some people start thinking, wait a minute. Today's the Sabbath. And we don't work or do anything on the Sabbath. So they bring the man in, right? And they're accusing him. Well, you were probably never blind to begin with. You're making up stories. They bring in the man's parents to have them testify. You remember this story. See, you and I, even Jesus might have thought it was a good idea. It was a good thing. But somebody didn't think it was that good at all. Y'all with me? Some of us, I think, 
knows what it is, know what it is to get in trouble for doing something wrong, doing something bad. Some of us might know a little bit more than others of us, huh? But I'm not pointing fingers. But we know what it means to get in trouble for doing something wrong. And we may not like that, but we kind of understand that you do something wrong, there's usually a punishment. But what about you get in trouble for doing something right? How does that make you feel? (laughs) Darned if you do, darned if you don't, right? And what is it, really, about people wanting to get mad at me or you or Jesus or anybody else because they did something good. It doesn't make sense, really, because usually when I do some kind of good, it costs me, not you. You know, if I give somebody money, that's money I don't have, not you or somebody else. If I give of my time, that's precious to me. It's my time, not your time. And sometimes these good things that we do are kind of uncomfortable even to us. But you know what? I'm mustering up enough courage to do this. Why in the world do people want to get in a big uproar because I or you want to do something good? Golly. I think in our text from John 10 today, Jesus gives us a reason. Now, when you hear John 10, from here on out for the rest of your life, I want you to immediately think Good Shepherd. Ready? Try this. John 10. What do you think of? Because this is where Jesus says he is the Good Shepherd. Says that he knows his sheep, the sheep know his voice. He protects and saves the sheep. And the Good Shepherd, Jesus says, lays down his life for the sheep because... He loves them. Now, usually, of course, we hear those words and we think of how willing Jesus was to love us. And how willing was Jesus to love us? He was very willing. He was willing to death. And you know what? Is that a good thing? Yes. In fact, we call it the good news. It's a very good thing, we say. If Jesus wasn't willing to do that, we probably wouldn't be here right now on such the start of a beautiful day. But what Jesus did was so good. But not everybody thought so. He was willing to love us like nobody else would. And you know what they did to him? but he was willing to do it anyway. Y'all with me? Oh, he knew what they were saying. He knew what they were thought, but he was willing to do it anyway. And when Jesus talks about the shepherd stuff, the shepherd's talk really just inspires us. We love it, right? It's a powerful image, really. We can imagine ourselves as little sheep running around, not paying attention to what's in front of us, only worried about what's right here in front of our nose. And, you know, we need somebody to lead us around because sometimes we get lost, we go off track, and we need somebody to bring us back in. We need a shepherd to do that. Sometimes we, in our lost sense, we don't know where we're going. We can't find food. We need somebody to lead us to those quiet waters and those green pastures, and the shepherd does that. And so that image of shepherd is a great way 
for Jesus to describe who he is to us. And it's a great way for us to understand who we are to Jesus, that Jesus loves us like that, willing to love us, willing to take care of us. But I also want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus is not only describing himself, he's describing someone else as well. Now, first, yes, I think he is obviously saying something about himself. He loves his sheep. Friends, you are. I am his sheep. Thank God. We are his sheep. He loves us. But more than that, even, I think Jesus is trying to, in a perhaps not so subtle way, tell us who he thinks he really is. See, most studies of John chapter 10, what makes you think of what? The good shepherd. Very good. You're doing good. Most studies of John chapter 10 will will have you think about Ezekiel 34. Now, in Ezekiel 34, God says to the prophet, I want to read these verses. For thus says the Lord, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the water courses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And Jesus sums all that up by saying, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So part of what Jesus is saying about himself is part of why we're here this morning. Part of what we hang our faith on is that in Jesus Christ, we see God. Oh, I'm pretty sure that Jesus, as soon as he said good shepherd, had in his mind for everybody to think about Ezekiel. And God says, I am the shepherd. So Jesus is saying, I'm God. But, as much as Jesus is saying about himself, I think he's talking a whole lot about somebody else. See, if there's a good shepherd... It stands to reason that there's a bad shepherd. A bad shepherd. I can't help it, y'all. It's just too easy. If there's a good shepherd, there's a bad shepherd as well. And I think the bad shepherds are the ones that Jesus most likely called the hired hand. Now, you and I talk, well, I don't know anything about sheep. I don't know anything about shepherding or shepherding sheep. But we know about hired hands, don't we? See, we've gone to the store with a problem, with something we have to have taken care of, 
and we go to the store because we expect that the people at the store will be able to help us or will want to help us, but we've all encountered those hired hands at the store. They don't want to help us. They don't want to see us. They could care less if we're there. All they're there for is to get a paycheck. They don't care about us. The hired hand cares about the hired hand. Y'all with me? See, we know about this shepherd business. We know about hired hands. Now, in Ezekiel 34, God has a lot to say to the hired hands as well. In Ezekiel 34, God still calls them shepherds. That's what they are. They may be hired hands, but they're still shepherds. They're just not the good shepherd. They're the bad shepherds. And this image of shepherd in the Old Testament is commonly used to describe leaders, kings in particular. But the church has also taken it to mean other leaders, like teachers and um, other leaders like that in the church and in life. And God's word to those leaders, to those shepherds, friends, is quite harsh. It's those shepherds, God said, have fed themselves and not the other sheep. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost, but with force and harshness, you have ruled them. And Jesus sums up that by saying that the hired hand runs away when he or she sees the wolf coming. You know why? Because the hired hand doesn't care about the sheep. The hired hand cares about the hired hand. Now, let me ask us this. Which are we? Peter. Oh, Peter, 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 Peter. At points in his disciple career, Peter probably could be best described as a hired hand. He wasn't worried about anybody else. He was worried about what was important to him, what was meaningful for him. Now, to be fair to Peter, I think the other disciples spent time like that as well in their disciple career. And to be fair to those other disciples, I think you and I do the same thing, don't we? We all have our moments when it's about what's important to us and not the other person. We all have our moments when we are the hired hands. And what's interesting, you may not, okay, John, I don't believe that. We all love God. We all love Jesus. You know what? I have never come across anybody who's a part of the church that has said, well, I don't love God. I don't believe in God. I've never met anybody that said that, but I'm sure I've met some hired hands in church. John, isn't that a judgment call? Aren't you judging somebody? Yeah. What else do you want me to think? When all these hired hands want to do is talk about what's important to them, is to criticize anybody else, put down anybody else that wants to do good, what else am I supposed to think other than they're just the hired hand? Jesus said after he proclaimed that he was here to lay down his life, said, I have received this command from my Father. Likewise, I think we understand that we receive that command from Jesus. 
you remember when Peter denied Jesus. How many times? Not once, not twice, three times. And after the resurrection, Jesus is there with his disciples, and he turns to Peter, the one who rejected him three times, and he asked him a question. Do you remember what he asked him? Do you love me, Peter? He asked him three times. And each time Peter said to the effect, yes, you know I do, I love you. And each time Peter answered, Jesus would respond. Do you remember what Jesus' response was? He said, essentially, if you love me, tend my lambs. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. I think in a way Jesus was saying, if you love me, go be a good shepherd. That's what you are called to be, too. Just like the blind man that Jesus and his disciples came across. Just like the man at the gate that Peter and John, Peter and John associated with. Just like the man who asked Francis for money that day. There was a man I heard of in the story someone shared who was sitting outside of a bronze restaurant here in Irving. And it was apparent that, well, this man didn't belong there. Hmm? Looked like he probably didn't belong anywhere. And as he was there, people realized this man's state, or at least something about him, and they shared with him. Good thing? Yeah, I think so. Most of the people thought so, except for that one person who went and complained to management and left early. You see, not everybody is going to think the work you're doing is good. But we're trying to be good shepherds like Jesus called us to be. And because Francis of Assisi was willing to do that, people even today still look at his life and look at the order of life that he helped create that helps them be more faithful to God. Even Vincent van Gogh, who gave that part of his life to help those people, later on we get to see his paintings that help reflect his journey of faith. Peter and John, their willingness to lay down their life, their willingness to serve Because of that, we get to hear that same message all these years later. And do I need to really talk about Jesus? Because of his willingness to lay down his life for us, friends, we have new life. The question is, will we be good shepherds or hired hands? Good shepherds who lay their lives down for another And here's what's interesting. Here's what I want you to remember. That man outside of bronze, that man asking Francis for money or anybody else, they don't always need somebody to go kill themselves and make things better. Being willing to lay our lives down talks about a willingness for me to focus on what's important to you instead of me. Sometimes people don't need you to lay your life down for them. You know what they need? They need a hug because nobody else wants to hug them. 
They need somebody to say, you are loved, because nobody else is willing to do it. They need somebody to say, here is something to eat, because nobody else has been willing to give them something to eat. They need somebody to say, you can stay with me, because nobody else has been willing for them to do that. They need somebody to say, what is it you need? I am here for you. Remember Jesus saying one time that whatever you do to the least of these, you also do to me. Good shepherds or hired hands. It's your call. Let's pray. Oh, loving God, we are so thankful for the work and the grace that we see in the cross of Jesus. His willingness to lay his life down for us has brought us so much, God. And this morning we ask for your forgiveness because quite often we work as hired hands, focusing on what's important for us to the neglect of your people. Help us today to receive the blessing of your grace in a new way so that we can know that we are loved by you and so that we can leave leave this place to serve your people more faithful. In Jesus' name.